This is the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, where it's all about getting the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. Brought to you by Itumar Shafir, founder and CEO of Umbrella, the technology platform and brand that is powering thousands of marketing agencies around the country. Find him at UmbrellaUS.com. Now, here's your host, Kevin Pruitt. This is the Marketing Umbrella Podcast, and I am your host, Kevin Pruitt. I've got a very special guest with me today who is the co-founder and head of operations at Intelligent Relations. Our guest today is also actively involved in all aspects of operations and growth for the company. This ranges from the generation of the AI PR technology for the platform all the way across to client services. This is a very short bio, and there is so much more to learn about our guest today, Steve Marsnick. Steve, thanks for joining us on the Marketing Umbrella Podcast. Pleasure to be here. Happy to connect. So, man, we got to we got to chat for a bit last week, but you said so many interesting things that I said we've got to do an encore here. So, um, let's just dive in, round out the foundation of the of the bio a little bit, family, where you live. Let's just <laughs> let the, let the audience know you a little better. Yeah, for sure. My pleasure. Uh, so as you mentioned, uh, co-founder at Intelligent Relations, we are focused on using AI to accelerate and enhance uh, public relations. We are, you know, Public relations is broadly under that marketing umbrella, uh, so to speak. So yeah. really happy to no hear. No pun and intended. Happy, <laughs> pun totally intended <laughs> to be here and connect with your audience. And and yeah, last time we were talking about AI and uh, in, in what we were doing in the startup side, um, here just really thought this would be an opportunity to do a deep dive into uh, AI and marketing. And so, yeah, my background is originally in marketing before I made that pivot over to public relations. So totally uh, love everything about uh, market positioning, understanding how to tell the story of a company and had kind of a background in social media marketing and uh, paid advertising and content marketing back when I started my last agency, Net Positive Agency. And Intelligent Relations, we've been around for three years and um, really took all the learnings we did there and rolled them up into what we're doing uh, doing intelligent relations. And so personally, uh, where I'm at, uh, born and raised in Connecticut, went to school in Philly. And about seven years ago, I outsourced myself down here to Northern South America. Uh, it's a little blown out here, but those are the Andes Mountains behind me. I'm, I'm here in Medellin, Colombia. And uh, it's where my wife is from. So I got a big extended Colombian family down here. And uh, my family visits frequently enough as well. <laughs> Well, I I love the idea that you know you're you're not one that's just going to talk about the discipline. You you actually were a practitioner, you know, in the marketing space, in the marketing agency space. So yeah, talk about the the your, your pivot from that to PR. Is it more of a more of a refinement than a pivot? Yeah, I, I mean, marketing is trying to connect the right audience with the right message on the right platform at the right time. And I saw that I partnered with a good friend of mine who had more experience in the PR space, and we just saw that using my more like technical analytical skill set and his foundational knowledge in public relations, there is a real opportunity here. Um, specifically, we're seeing that, you know, legacy PR agencies, those are bigger companies that are charging $10,000, $20,000 a month retainers to maybe more to the enter enterprise space. And there was this whole swath of business that I was frankly focused on, seed companies, series A companies, like more early stage companies mm -hmm. that maybe were priced out. They were hiring us for regular marketing services, but they were priced out of traditional PR. So we saw some opportunities to leverage technology, to leverage you know, clean execution, 
um, to to focus on a market that was really underserved with a with a solution that that seemed to fit well. So the I mean the gap existed in the market really at at the the client level that you were kind of aiming at. But uh, you you said one interestingly key word there. You said you know Series A startups. <laughs> you didn't say the you know the early stage startups because they don't have any money. <laughs> well. You know, there's that's another part of the market, um, and I think that for PR specifically, uh, listen, everyone has a story to tell. The main media publications that were mostly focused on intelligent relations, niche media, mainstream media, etc., mm -hmm. a lot of those folks, you know, they're looking to start, they're looking to talk to companies that have a little bit more traction, they're a little bit more established in their in their place, and if you pitch, you know, true mom and pop kind of businesses. It's you know it's it's tough to get those yeah. kind of folks featured in TechCrunch. So you got to yeah. have a little bit of credibility to get into uh, some of those publications, and that really we saw that as a, a nice sweet spot. You know, got some traction, getting you know has a little bit of funding behind you or a little bit of revenue coming in. Stories that the media is hungry for, and if we can help to connect those dots at a price point that resonates, we we got a win win. You mentioned earlier about you know your time in a marketing agency leading that. So talk about some of the challenges that you that you experienced in that space that you think would be germane to our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I started my agency, it was coming on like eight, nine years ago now. Uh, Net positive was the previous the previous one. And I got into that probably in a way that a lot of folks, you know, become agency owners, which is I was doing marketing. I was in-house. I learned some skills that were yeah. that were helpful. I was thinking I would love to have a bigger impact. I can do this for more companies, you know, so I can take this skill set and I'm going to start a business around my skill set. And that it's organic. It makes sense. I think it was a good move for me professionally, but man, did I get slapped in the face a little bit in those early years, <laughs> realizing that like, oh yeah, running an agency is a heck of a lot more than just doing the thing. You know, you're, you got to, hunt clients, you got to package services, you got to do your own marketing and sales, you got to do the bookkeeping. You know, I had a professor back in college who's the accounting professor, and he's like, you may not like it now, but one day you will look back and think that accounting was the most important class you didn't pay attention to. And I was like, I, I remembered that lesson over and over Came again. Came bite me. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I paid some attention, but I had to relearn a lot of those lessons. So yeah, I think the earliest, earliest stage was just recognizing that running a business, running an agency is so different from doing marketing and all the skills that had to uh, be learned along with that. I, I, you know, the picture you just painted is, is one of, you know, moving from just a cog in the wheel to like trying to keep the wheel spinning. So when mm -hmm. some of the other things you learned, um, that they were really really practical. I mean, you really talk about kind of your mechanic, the way you think mechanically and and systematically. Did you put systems in place that kind of made this work, made this machine keep turning, versus just you know mm -hmm. kind of flying by the seat of your pants, so to speak? Absolutely. So I think that where I started to get some traction uh, with the early agency was when I broke free of the cell service cycle. So I think you know. This is something that is probably, again, very common is small shops got to go out, get the clients. You got to close the deals with the clients, negotiate the right arrangements, et cetera. And if you're a, 
a smaller operation, that takes key resources, your time, key team members' time, et cetera. You go out, you sell, you bring in the business. Then you got to shift focus to delivering for those clients. And it's hard to keep an, a full eye on both those balls until you really systematize both the selling and the servicing. And that was, you know, figuring out both of those systems was when I started to, to break free from that, that cycle. Because of course, you know, hopefully you do a great job. It's a fixed fixed length engagement or, you know, client churns eventually. And then you realize like, I got to go out and sell again. And that's just, that'll burn, that'll burn someone out pretty quickly. So on the sales side, you know, I, I'm happy to go into details around how we did it, but um, building a, a system to bring in predictable leads, predictable sales calls, demos, you know, for us, it was a combination of cold email outreach and, um, and, and, demo calls in that way we use a little bit of paid ads and remarketing mm -hmm. but it's really just building that building the top of funnel uh was was step one and once we kind of got that and then figured out that sales pipeline that was a blessing and then the other part and I, i'm happy to go into more detail if that's of interest to the audience and the other part was helping to define our offerings and i think this again this took me longer than it should have to, to figure out yeah. but Defining what we do for whom and doing that consistently really made a difference because, yeah. you know, especially when you're early and hungry, like we would do anything for anybody. This, again, this is going back a while now, but I remember those days painfully like, sure, you want us to do this thing and we, I, I can, I know how to, <laughs> but that doesn't scale. The fact right. that I know how to doesn't scale. And I, I also, it in hindsight, I see that you know, 70, 80% of the problems that I faced as agency owner were when we were trying to do things that were either out of scope or like that, or the, when there was a problem that arose in client services that, you know, because the team had made a mistake or something. And both of those really come down to, we try to do something that only I knew how to do. It wasn't structured down. And so that just tore me back and forth front frontline sales services in and it you know setting up the systems and defining what we do for whom and putting processes that 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 really was the break free moment for me i love that i'm, I'm gonna get a t-shirt that says i know how to doesn't scale i mean that is that is a bumper sticker that's a that is a a one line political slogan right there and it is so true and mm -hmm. you know the the kind of the formula that you introduce like what do you do for whom you know this mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's It has such universal application. I mean, I've even seen people talk about your LinkedIn profile headline needs to say, I am this, I do this for for this, you know, for this, for mm -hmm. this audience or whatever, just very clean, mm -hmm. very clear. And, and it's, it's all about, you know, niching down to your ideal client and being really clear on your offering at the Absolutely. end of the day. You know? and, and well, once you, once you have a focus, then you can get really good at that. Focus. Right. And when you get clients, you start to get, you know, combination of reputation and experience in that industry. So that when a prospect comes your way, you can close them with a high degree of certainty because that's what you do. And this is what we do better than anybody else. So that really helped. I mean, that's you know, frankly, I I learned that lesson at Net Positive and coming over to intelligent relations that it's helping starting to build this. We had a market in mind from pretty much from day one. We knew what we were trying to do. It was trying to help win media coverage for early stage startups. Like that's a much better place to start than 
we can do marketing. I can do marketing for for folks. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I, I don't want to read yeah. that, that that's just much. a little yeah. too broad that's yeah, yeah you're you're a master of none if, if that if that's where you are but I uh I I literally just crossed my mind this idea of and I, I want to transition here to really kind of focus on something we we really wanted to drill down in this chat was was around the, the whole idea of AI you know mm-hmm. and but it, the thought that came through my mind is is AI like the the COVID of marketing you know, it just like it seems like it came out of nowhere, and it just affected Depends everybody. From what perspective, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's yeah. Is it the benign? Is it the, the neutral COVID of marketing that, you know, in 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 twenty nineteen you're hearing rumblings, and then early twenty twenty the world shuts down. You know, so uh, give us the fifty thousand foot foot view, and then let's drill down on the just the kind of the ap- practical applications. For sure. Well, uh, the. It's going viral, uh, and <laughs> it's getting it's taking over the news cycles. Those things seem to be true, um, and hopefully benign. There's no but antidote. There's, the base. there's no antidote. We're not going back. Uh, so, yeah, back 2020, we, my co-founders and I were were just started to pay more attention to this generative AI. There were early indications that this technology was growing; it would accelerate rapidly, and that come you know a few years from then i.e., you know, 2022, 2023, the technology would actually be to the point where it could have a transformative impact on a wide variety of, of technologies. So we kind of set out to build our platform with that in mind so that we would build kind of the frameworks and then be kind of model agnostic, like whether that's open AI or whether that's something out of Google or whatever, uh, we'd, we'd be able to kind of plug in and modify the models that were needed as mm-hmm. they improved. So I think that in terms of you know, it sneaking up and having this profound impact. Yeah, I, we saw this starting in 2022. These models started to get traction. You know, there was GPT-3, there was ChatGPT, GPT-3.5. I mean, we were literally in the process of building models for, you know, GPT-3.5. And they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, 4 is here. Like, have at it. <laughs> exactly. And then every, it does seem like every week, every two weeks, there's a new totally killer feature. And all of this is really built upon these large, large language models, which essentially are able to process information in a way that previously was impossible because it's it's just sucked up all the words all the data of all you know from from billions and billions of of data points articles content things like that and analyze those in a way where basically you can start to predict what makes sense to follow up and that can have the impression of problem solving it can have the impression of being creative things like that and so these predictive models are are really uh reaching far and wide and it does seem it can seem certainly like it was overnight but working what we do today was not possible two years ago because the latest and greatest models then just were not there and our platform and our products took giant leaps forward once the models were like oh yeah that thing that we had to find all these workarounds to mm-hmm. now it's a straight line because the models are just good enough to do what we imagined they might be able to is um, it two years or even like six months i mean Three months, it seems like that it's it seems like that that learning yeah. curve that, you know, what's the the principle that says like data storage or RAM, you know, doubles every 18 months or something like that. It's a similar like Moore's yeah. law, maybe yep. it's similar yep. that it is it is almost like, you know, the the rapidity of the change is just incredible, you know, or the the yeah. quantum, I guess, exponential change that happens is mm-hmm. is amazing. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think. What we're seeing here that's interesting, you know, from from my perspective, is that it, 
already and certainly in the near future, AI generated content will be a part of just about everything we consume. And that's when you take it a holistic view. So whether that's the autocomplete of the email, you know, where you're starting to write an email and then Google or Gmail autocompletes and suggests the end of the sentence, uh, how have you been, you know, for example, it knows that um, all the way through to writing essays or, you know, blog posts or things like that, we're going to see that this AI content is far reaching that. And what, what is unknown is how people will react to that how people will feel about mm. AI being used in different contexts. It's certainly here, it's certainly coming, and it's unclear uh, what context we feel good about that and what context we feel bad about it being used. So I, I follow up on that. I mean, you're, what, you know, good context, bad context. What's the right and wrong use of AI, especially yeah. in this space? Well, I think, it, I imagine many folks who are in the marketing field are, you know, by nature, innovative people, explorative. I'm guessing there's a lot of people here. If you're building an agency, you're probably looking for the latest and greatest tools. And it is a question of, you know, how do I use this stuff? In terms of generative text, our internal rule is like, you have to look at the stakes and the scope. So if you're going to use AI language, if the stakes are very high, like this is going to be in a press release that reaches tens of thousands of people, you're going to want to be a little bit more careful, i.e. human oversight. And if the scope uh, of the text is is important, then you're going to want to pay more attention as well. So like a long form document that you're using in-house, not a lot of people are seeing it. It can have some slight hallucinations or slight errors. That's kind of fine. So internal processing, documentation, things, you know, just like prepping notes for an interview, you know, prepping client calls, research on you know, t summarizing documents, not original research because it'll hallucinate facts and figures, mm -hmm. but like anything internal, great. And then it also does better with short form rather than long form content. So uh, the longer it gets, the more likely it's going to go kind of off the wheels. So I'd say it's originally we thought that AI was going to automate. And what we're really seeing is that AI is good for two things. It's good for uh, automating simple tasks, simple repetitive tasks, and it's good for human assistance. And so long as you're trying to keep it in that scope, automate simple stuff, and then assist your team to do things that maybe they, they couldn't do before, like certain kinds of writing, writing ad copy, because it's using a model, an out-of-the-box model has been trained to do that, or writing, you know, writing a, a sales email as a draft or a marketing email as a draft and having them punch it up. You're kind of good. Just don't expect it to do everything perfectly out-of-the-box in long form. It's probably obvious, but like, that's where things go off the wheels. I I love the the way you kind of just distilled it down into the the two basic benefits of of AI and so what do you what do you see you know in the next 6 months 12 months whatever what's the short term future of AI and then maybe you know prognosticate a little bit Mr. Futurist I mean what does it look like 5 years down the road Yeah for sure so short term uh short term uh we'll we'll see a cultural uh, evaluation of AI where there'll be kind of a shaking out. People mm -hmm. are going to, there's going to be transparency 
is so yeah, first of all, transparency is coming as it, we have a little bit of a, a fun arms race happening where you have AI generated content and AI generated content detectors. Uh, the content detectors are not amazing just yet, but they're, they're going to get it. So basically <laughs> you train AI models by taking a ton of original data and putting them through there. And then you train the AI content detectors by taking a lot of AI content and putting it through the content detector. And it tries to map to see like, oh, this looks like it was created by a model. And it's, it's, it's going to become an arms race and but eventually we should my my assumption is that it will become transparent at some point when your content was created by uh by an ai generator so for example we do seo um that's is part of our own internal seo on our blog and we're creating long-form content we use ai to support that but i'm actually running all of our blogs through AI content detectors, and mm -hmm. I'm also giving very instru careful instructions to my uh, to my team to like make sure this is human because someday, probably sooner than later, Google's going to start running and evaluating mm. like what content is human and not, and they're going to start penalizing this stuff. Uh, I would imagine that's coming in everything from you know SEO purposes to sales emails, where you're going to very soon be able to detect, like you'll know. So I think that's very good. I would encourage everyone in the audience to assume what you're doing will be known as AI at some point, and to operate under that principle. You're not going to run a run awry by 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 doing that. Legislation also almost certainly coming. We're seeing that in some areas already. Laws around AI usage will become clear. And, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of innovation, but I think there are certain cases where we would say that we don't want AI to be used. Yeah. Actual, in the writing of legislation or in doctor's prescriptions or something like that. You know, human or resources surgery. case. <laughs> surgery. I would be concerned about, about human resources, you mm -hmm. know? So, we ran a test a couple months ago, just asking the model to, you know, to write a fictitious, you know, a fictitious description of, uh, write a poem about a fictitious engineer, and write a fictitious uh, poem about a an administrative assistant. And based on what it had absorbed, it determined that the engineer was male and very intelligent, and it didn't mention anything about his family or anything else. Meanwhile, the administrative assistant was a stressed out mother of three it described her looks her glasses and all this other stuff okay probably learned that from us by just you know to make stereotypes but think of yeah. it if you apply models that are flawed and have bias mm -hmm. towards towards applications that have deep human impact like who's more qualified for this job and somehow it's built into the model to make certain assumptions that's risky so legislation is coming transparency and legislation and we kind of already talked about how it's like the widespread nature of how it's going to kind of infiltrate every aspect mm -hmm. of the content we're consuming i think that's honestly i think that's the next six months yeah i i would i would absolutely agree that that is the kind of the next even even on in a shorter term the next two steps that that are going to have a have a big impact but if you were wanting to kind of tie a bow around this and say, okay, really speaking to agency owners, which is you know predominantly our mm -hmm. audience on, on this podcast yeah. here, but um, what is one thing about AI in their space that we really haven't touched on that you think would be really helpful for them to be cognizant of, you know, as as this you know use cases increase you know exponentially, mm -hmm. um, and and I'll also want you to to mention like. Is there a specific content kind of detector that you use or mm -hmm. content evaluator that you use, a, a tool that might be helpful to them? Yeah, sure. So 
I'd say to for agency owners who are looking uh, looking to adopt AI in their process, I'd say adopt a, a hacker's mindset and just dive in and play. A lot of these tools have they're called playgrounds, you know. So you can get into OpenAI, you can pay a very modest amount of money and have access to those playgrounds, and you can start to develop, you know, just workflows that you could then pass to your team. So we've we built simple, you know, besides building true tech workflows, we built simple recipes. You know, there's a new tool on in ChatGPT, which is their code interpreter tool. Game changer, totally cool. We're upload. What it can do is it can analyze using Python. Uh, it can analyze and interact with documents. So we're uploading, for example, um, a a giant list of articles, and then I can ask you know, as a CSV, as a you know comma separated files Excel uh, file, and we're asking it to remove articles that are in the United Kingdom, remove articles that are in this and this and this. And so just like this is no code programming right. you're able to give a you're, and so you we've given little recipes to one of my analysts and saying hey here's line number one copy paste use that here's line number two line number three and so that's a workflow and so just you're not going to know how to use the tools if you're not playing first i always mm -hmm. say that you know the most senior person should hack away and understand what the outcome is what good looks like and then once you know it well enough then try delegating it to someone else but that you can start to automate and streamline workflows very quickly by diving in and breaking them down and then handing them off to somebody That's else great great idea just rinse wash repeat mm -hmm. it's a great idea and specific yeah. tools that that you would mention that might be helpful yeah we we use i use winston ai uh that is an ai content detector it gives probabilities around how likely certain content is mm -hmm. to be written by by AI. I've gotten pushback from some of my writers who say, I totally wrote that sentence. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I think it's imperfect tech, but they seem to be doing it in a smart way. And so I would I would strongly consider them as a tool to use. And you know, you could also just Google competitors to those guys or other AI content detector tools. The tools that I I find most user friendly for uh, for folks who want to hack away, we use we use OpenAI for a lot of our text generation mm -hmm. style models. We also use Google's Palm Two, but their user interface is trickier. If you're willing to to play with it, check out Google's uh, sandbox playgrounds for for that. But they have a similar kind of interface if you just hunt through enough to get to it. But generally, we see that OpenAI is uh, interface for the purpose is, is as good or better. And just a distinction that might not be obvious to all folks, OpenAI makes their technology available in two forms. They have ChatGPT, mm -hmm. which is available in ChatGPT Plus for, I think it's like $20 a month. It's worth it for sure for the, un for the I think it's unlimited credits. I, it, it's very affordable right. for that. And that's just chatbot, back and forth, et cetera. Mm -hmm. The real power and fun comes in their OpenAI sign up and again you can you can sign up for that you can log in they have this whole robust playground you can essentially train your own chat bots you can give it system prompts it's a it's a much more power user approach and if you're inclined to that i i would totally encourage folks to to play with both when no i got one other question yeah everything sure. you mentioned is just generating more thoughts that i that i had that i want to follow yeah. up on but forgive me for showing my ignorance in this space but 
is sure. there a way like if you you mentioned you know training your chatbots whatever is there a way to limit the input on the ai side to say i only want you to look at this stream i only want you to look at this content i only want you to look at this or consider you know i guess limiting the box that it's looking at versus just scan the internet you know type. oh for sure yeah so it kind of comes down to limiting the scope and or the creativity of of the models so most of the models palm uh palm out of google uh open ai's gpt every example they have a they have a throttle uh, which is the temperature model and it's basically mm -hmm. saying how creative do you want it to be that's mm -hmm. and and so you can have it go less creative or more creative based right. on that again that's not chat gpt but that can help you to throttle it down yeah um a brief technical description of that is it it's these are probabilistic models trying to anticipate what the next word should be. I hope you're having a great day is the most right. likely one. Right. If you increase, yeah, if you increase the temperature, that means it could go from, I hope you have a nice day to coffee break to koala bear. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> technically exactly, maybe, yeah. I hope you have a nice, yeah. so it, it goes down. koala so, bear this weekend. You know, so yeah. it's, it gets more creative and you can control that. That's a little bit different from what you're asking, but it's important that folks know yeah. that yes, you can control that. And that can cut down on what are known as hallucinations where basically it just mm -hmm. makes stuff up to try to, you know, to, to try to complete because it's probabilistically possible, but not likely. That's that's part one. Mm -hmm. Part two is that in these models you can you can seed it with information. So I will, for example, yeah, workflow I use. Yeah. So I will I'll record a call using Otter or whatever other tools there are to do call transcripts. Mm -hmm. And I will upload that text. So I will do a, a multi-prompt interaction in in um OpenAI. I'll say, here's a call transcript with a client, dump in the text then ask, what are five key takeaways from this call that I have to do? How did the client feel about mm. this thing? So I will go back and kind of query my own text in that way in order to get better responses. And then the last thing is that there's there's a new there, there's a new field that I I'm looking at. So I just got an email literally today from AI21, which is a, another, they like Jurassic models. It's another large language model, but they basically have a tool where you can upload a ton of documents and have use AI to essentially have a chat bot that just queries that body of documents. I'm super excited to check that out. I see a lot of applications for it, but like, for example, here, practical use case, I'm thinking of taking all my client notes and just dumping them into a repository and then having a model available where my team can go in and be like, hey, how does XYZ company feel about this? And it'll either say no information on that mm -hmm. or it'll it'll uh, it'll give you factual information based on what's in the repository. So that's the last trend. If you look like forward, then I'm I'm really you know, I, no, it's the last trend I can comment on right now that I'm really excited about is integrating these kinds of large language models into workflows that help even non-technical folks more and more. The ability to create a chatbot that queries a database that you're setting up with no coding experience required—that's pretty cool. So yeah. it's all out there. Just dive in and start hacking around, and you know you know your workflow is better than anyone else. 
start thinking. And usually these guys have, you know, some of the companies have like chat support, you know, there's forums, mm -hmm. just like, you know, just dive in and have fun. And like, like you said, I mean, a lot of agency owners are, are creative and, and not only creative in content creation, but also creative in solution, you know, finding solutions to, to issues that, that they're facing. But, and this is, this is a rabbit hole. This is a, <laughs> an endless rabbit yeah. hole that we could chase down, but I am, I, I'm going to discipline myself to kind of rein it in right now sure. and, and uh, let you get back to work here in a few minutes. But this is where we shift, shift in the conversation. And I, I start asking you just rapid fire questions first thing that comes to mind real quick short answers I, this makes no sense i don't know why this is related to what we were talking about but there is a method to the madness here so buckle up here we go so did you get okay. along with your parents growing up we had a tumultuous relationship we now get along much better that i live out of the country and we meet on <laughs> neutral territory do you have siblings no uh pet or pets no kids I have a son, Benjamin, and another one on the way. Congratulations. Uh, what time do you wake up in the morning? 4 a.m. And what time do you normally go to bed? 9 a.m. on the dot. 9 p.m. on the dot. Ideal vacation spot, money not, not an object. These days, uh, a resort in uh, an island because everyone can just hang out and relax and someone else takes care of all the logistics. These days, that's that's the move. How does faith affect your work? Deeply, actually. I'm a Jewish person. I studied a bit in yeshiva. I haven't worked on a Shabbat in 15 years. If you were king for a day, there, what's one thing you would change about the marketing space that you think would improve it universally? Transparency into operations. I think most agencies don't provide enough transparency in what they're doing. It creates an adversarial relationship. Transparency should be required. And boy, nothing could be more more applicable today with the with the advent of AI and it's and it's uh, the the scary side of of lack of transparency sometimes. But I I man, I love this conversation. I love the things that you've shared with us today, and and it literally could have gone on for hours to just continue to pick your brain and we may have to schedule another like a 2.0 version just to get the the backside and it changes so often the conversation would be completely different if we chatted again for sure i think that's true i think that's true <laughs> but steven thank you again for just taking time today and just just sharing your thoughts and uh the best place to contact you is intelligentrelations.com love to connect with you all if you just want to brainstorm ai kind of things or you know a lot of folks don't do pr we have a you know partner program where sometimes we're looped into the engagements to provide pr services for folks if you want to chat about that we're we're happy to connect on that too steve thank you again have a great weekend and uh, we'll look forward to connecting soon cool thank you pleasure thank you for tuning in to another great episode of the marketing umbrella podcast where we provide the information you need from successful leading marketers to build and grow your digital marketing agency. To learn more, go to UmbrellaUS.com.